And you know how how much Reddit do you use? Uh, very specific subreddits. But other than that, generally the I don't really go outside of what I've already sort of I'm interested in. Right. Same. But you know the concept of upvoting and downvoting. Yeah, yeah. Well, in that little thread, uh, you know, there's probably like seven or eight people closely following it. And my comments with the person back and forth, mine are getting like six to seven upvotes and his are getting like negative five. So I knew I was winning. (laughs) So I appreciated that. And his response to my like lengthy paragraphs was like, this is what I'm talking about, guys. (laughs) Downvote. (laughs) I was like, man, you don't want to have a conversation? Then essentially he was, uh, he wanted to put up an opinion, but not have it challenged. It's like, then you're, why? Anyhow. I mean, that's, that's, if you want to do that, you just make a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you should know better. <laughs> and, oh, also, his his opinion was, it's not a masterpiece, but it's not bad. It's like, wow! <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> it's like, you've cracked the code, buddy. That's not what the internet's about. I mean, I'm guilty of that. There's a recent uh, 99 from 99 episode I did on Sleepy Hollow where I uh, shockingly discovered my co-host. This is like his most watched or rewatched movie from 1999. Like he loves Sleepy Hollow. Whoa. And that, I had it Burton? as the – Yeah. Burton is okay. <laughs> I had it as the worst thing I watched from the year 1999. <laughs> <laughs> like so we could not be – And he – he gives this huge monologue about what it meant to him as a child, and he saw it with this. Uh, you know, he had this personal story of seeing it with his parents, and um, just like the magic of movie making, on and on. <laughs> he's like, but he goes on for four or five minutes, and he's like, so "What do you think about it, Mike?" And I'm just like, "It stinks." Like, you know, it's just like, <laughs> but, you know, I felt like you set me up for that that gag of just being pithy because you just. What am I supposed to say to that? Like, it shouldn't have meant anything to you in your childhood? I can't take that away from him. Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And here we are at another B-Sides episode. Uh, the, the films and the choices that you were never meant to experience. <laughs> <laughs> you could say the same thing for these episodes based on the numbers. <laughs> the <laughs> listeners right. say the B-Sides, who needs it? So, yeah, this is uh, much like our wrap-up show. This is like the super edition of a wrap-up show where uh it's all of the uh i guess our version of dvd extras and man do we have some filmmakers here that we're really belittling by saying that they're merely a dvd extra for the, the entirety of their film so that's not what we mean 
Maybe. I don't know. I can never tell with you, Webb. I never can tell, based on Batman Returns, what I'm about to get with you. <laughs> no, you know what? It's all about context. You couldn't force somebody to watch Citizen Kane and be like, this is the greatest movie ever. You have to watch it, and you force them to say and they're going to hate it. And ultimately, I think that's how it goes with pretty much any film. Uh, specifically, this uh, actually, this past week, I've been getting a lot of crap from some of the people at work. Like, how come you haven't seen Mandalorian yet? And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> Of all things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you're a big Star Wars fan, aren't you? And, you know, that really made me reflect. I was like, I don't think I'm a Star Wars fan. I think I'm a cinema fan. It's because most of the Star Wars films suck. And I watched the first episode of Mandalorian, and I just didn't have any interest to continue. Like, I don't care. Like, I just don't care. You're a better man than me. I made it about seven minutes, <laughs> and I was doing that. I think I was watching it while I was shaving. <laughs> and when I was... <laughs> When I was done, or I probably got a text message because I'm watching it on my phone the way it was meant to be seen, Disney Plus, John Favreau, I'm sure. Um, I never picked it up again, and I've heard people talk endlessly about it, but uh, I think as I've said on previous episodes, uh, the amount of time I could spend watching something like you're saying that I'm not really that interested in, how many movies does that equal for me to, to watch the, the Mandalorian season one and two? Too many. I'm always going to go with movies. And ultimately, it's like, you know what? I bet before the end of my life, I'll get to The Mandalorian. But the thing is... <laughs> did you say that to your coworkers? <laughs> In a way, I did. In a way. Because ultimately, I said, if I'm going to be forced to watch something, I'm not going to enjoy it. And if I, like, if mm. I, I'll get to it in my own time. Like, that's how much Rise of Skywalker, like, that, that's, that's how much that film upset me. It's like I'm like I'm done with Star Wars, uh, at least for the time being. And so with these three films that didn't quite make the cut for this December, I kind of feel the same way, even though each of them I believe has quite a bit to offer. Uh, let's let's start with our first one, which is Snowpiercer. Children, it's the new year eggs from Mr. Wilford. Touch them. They are still warm. These eggs are boiled using water heated by the sacred engine itself. As a special treat, we have playing for us the world-renowned first-chair violinist of the Boston Symphony Orchestra, Mr. Gerald McKinster. Yay! Is that really Gerald? He looks damn great. I remember having to travel like an hour and a half away from where I lived to try to find a theater that was playing this damn movie because I was so excited. It's another Bong Joon-ho film. Uh, Chris Evans is in it. It's like, a, it's got a great cast. I, I, I was shocked. And so all the vitriol that the wine scene company got um, for its release, I think is very much justified, very much like uh, uh, Zangie Moo's a uh, hero. Like Quentin Tarantino had to be like, slap my name on it and let's get it out to the public. So, uh, par for the course for them. What about you? Did you have trouble finding Snowpiercer in theaters? Did you see it in theaters? Oh, no. Um, I don't think it was available my way. Um, and even if it was, I'm pretty sure I'd already watched a uh, high-def torrented copy because as the, uh, you know, the, the shoe's on the other foot this time. Uh, this time it's the dumb American. Uh, it's not available to me except on the internet in, you know, pristine condition uh, I wouldn't say that was the best way to watch it, just on my iMac or whatever by myself. <laughs> on the other hand, this time I watched it on an iPad, <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> if it's gotten better or not. Why did I watch it on an iPad? Because this is not a film 
that I would ever put on a television screen where my wife would have to listen or maybe occasionally glance up at what I'm doing. Uh, she would have no interest in this. And maybe I'll play web this time. At certain points, I very much had little interest in what was going on because it is structured in a way that <laughs> makes me feel incredibly old. It is very much like a video game where each set piece or the precursor to a set piece is a new video game level, um, you know, by the sort of, I guess, reverse diehard nature of it. You know, that sort of bottle episode where we have to get to this floor. In this case, we're getting to this section of the train. Uh, they reset it. And the <laughs> darkly comic styling of the film Sometimes I can admire it. Well, it's like, well, they're embracing how silly and stupid this all is. To quote one of my favorite critics about Batman Returns, isn't this really stupid? <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes it was just very tiresome. There's a lot of ideas here, and I wanted to kind of put you in a corner, Webb. Yeah. Put you in a tight spot, to, to quote, oh, brother, where art thou? I wanted to know what you thought, because you're a big defender of the Matrix sequels. And... This feels to me like a two-hour and change uh, feature-length version of the architect scene from Matrix Reloaded, which is very much uh, picked over and kind of made fun of for like, ah, oh, the Matrix, they lost all the fun. And yet the reaction from cinephiles and nerds with Snowpiercer was, wasn't this so cool? Wasn't this so awesome? And I'm having a hard time distinguishing what is the difference between the architect scene in The Matrix, which is is one scene, versus a feature-length version of that, and why that was more palatable to these people. Well, I'm really frustrated, because I came into this <laughs> episode, and that was good, this was going to be my big moment, and I'm gonna, I was going to compare The Matrix Reloaded to Snowpiercer, and you like stole all my thunder. Uh, <laughs> the difference between the two of them is that there is no difference. <laughs> 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 the uh, this film is very indebted to uh, the Matrix Reloaded and its structure, whereas the Matrix is is its own like on a level of control for the humans. The train is very much that same thing. The the Matrix Reloaded, the climax of the film is that uh, conversation between Neo and the Architect, and the same the same way uh, you've got the climax in Snowpiercer as the big conversation between uh, Ed Harris and and, and Chris Evans. Uh, Very, very similar. And you know what? On probably any other day, I would be happy to go through Snowpiercer. I don't think that it's as fragmented and and video gamey as you so put it, but but I can see that. That's what I say. I can see that. (laughs) Uh, Like, there's no way to... Because literally, the the train is fragmented, so that's kind of how the... Mm -hmm. There's, I feel like there's no other way to make it less fragmented, ultimately, because you are going through each of these sequences. Um, I think there's really good world building. There's a lot of good, uh, obviously, acting. The, the violence in its uh, uh, brief spurts is very effective. Ultimately, though, this isn't the film that I wanted to watch now. You know, and that's why I also had a negative reaction to it and why I also was uninterested at this time. And so this is when I know I'm having this kind of a viewing, I never immediately go to a letterbox and was like, there's my rating. Because if I were to give this a rating now, it would be much lower than what I would give it during a time when I really felt the need to watch it or to go through it. So 
So what do you mean by this is not the movie for you at this particular time? You're talking about the year we've had. You're talking about coming off of Christmas, going to the new year. Because, I mean, there's a, a riveting sequence where these <laughs> men in uh, ski masks do a New Year's song and dance with axes, which goes back to the is this funny or just stupid that I was, I was talking about. So what is it specifically where this is just not? hitting for you at this particular time i think the, the general content uh i'm just not in the mood right now to watch something overly uh grim and mm -hmm. uh, yep. it, and you can definitely see how uh it, it the lowest point of its i guess the, the that lack of christmas spirit is towards the end when chris evans is like i think babies taste the best it's like eh, i'm really not in the mood to hear this speech right now you know i had a big problem with that revelation too mm -hmm. because okay unlike the matrix uh the action sequences here suck they are <laughs> i don't know if that's the weinstein influence i don't know if it's like i said the bottle episode nature of it where uh i never get a good sense on how people are where they are like as far as in a particular See, because it's very much, uh, God, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep losing my uh, letterbox cred. I was reminded quite a bit of uh, the uh, cinephiles classic, The Patriot, starring Mel Gibson from 2000, where I always laughed at uh, the scene where our movie star is somehow on this battlefield where you just line up against your enemy, old fashioned style. And it's it's everyone else, all these hundreds of other combatants just separate so it's him and the nemesis the englishman that's taunted him for two and a half hours somehow are on a, the field of battle completely alone uh isolated from the other participants that happens almost every every time <laughs> in this train and it's like there shouldn't be that much room to move in a train when you're having a fight how does chris evans end up from here to there how does his uh mentee end up you know in this position where he's being held at knife point and chris evans has tilda swint at knife point it's all overly melodramatic in that to go back to that revelation where chris evans is a man who has eaten babies before and apparently did a 180 in his morality to take on this leadership role this this sort of anti-hero uh, persona why in the beginning of the film is he so hesitant and he seems so absorbed with the violence he's experiencing I guess I would find that a little bit surprising for a man who has eaten babies before. <laughs> right. <laughs> that he's sort of shocked at the bloodshed with the dancing axemen and, you know, <laughs> in the, uh, the first section or whatever. And that, I think, is kind of the, the crux of what we're getting at here. I, I think a lot of these uh, cracks that we're discovering in this flick are, are showing because we don't really want to watch it at this time. And that's what I mean when I mentioned context. Uh, when you're engrossed in something, like it doesn't matter how ridiculous something is on screen. Like it'll, it'll seem very, very epic to you. Uh, one of the most overused words, I think. Um, <laughs> that moment where the hero and the nemesis face off and there's all this violence around them that seemingly doesn't affect them at all. Like it can be very, very effective. If you're not in the moment, it won't matter. It's video game-like. Yes. Those are the NPCs you're not meant to interact with <laughs> off to the side. They're just yeah. background. And you're. it's like they have highlighted uh, chubby, um, somewhat European white dude as this great nemesis who I also never believed. I, you know, there's another episode on this on this feed when this was War Machine versus Warhorse, And this was our most popular episode for a long time. Because, you know, 
it hits the type of person that will download a movie podcast, Snowpiercer in particular. And I didn't remember much from my viewing or my criticisms then. Uh, I think for the most part, like you're saying, I enjoyed it. I was like, well, that was a kind of a fun action movie. Uh, that was the particular nit that I picked was that they tried to make this very unimposing man in a suit. <laughs> this like, I don't know. It's like, he's a, a DC God or something that's come down to fight Superman. And I'm like, eh, I'm not, <laughs> I'm just not seeing it. I don't know if there's a point being made here, but you know, even in something like kill bill, you know, we weren't supposed to read in the fact that, you know, bud represented like the Margaret Thatcher era. Like, you know, bud was a broken down alcoholic cleaning shit out of a toilet at a strip club who once was, uh, somewhat terrifying, but now not so scary. I don't know, Web. I, I often kind of lean into the like more blue collar nature of, I guess, thrillers. In this case, somewhat comedic thrillers. And this time, I felt like I was laughing at it more than I was laughing with what they were trying to do. You didn't feel for him when he lost his like possibly gay lover. Nope. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, throw a sex scene in there, maybe. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> Liven it up a little bit. <laughs> Um, I have never read the comic, the original comic. I had it at one point for a little while, but I just never felt compelled to see where the origins, I guess, of the story all came from. What about yourself? No, I just put this in there, um, basically, uh, you know, trying to throw in the, the chum in the water for you. Cause you, <laughs> not only did you enjoy doing the comic book film adaptation trilogy for, for this month, uh, that this one's kind of bouncing off of back in October. Uh, but even when our Christmas wrap up show, I just listened to that on, uh, yesterday when I was walking the dog again, Webb and I like to boost our own numbers <laughs> listening two or three times. And I was like, man, we did like, you know, five minutes on our favorite Catwoman stories. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm a little bit surprised. I thought this would be one, um, that I'm sort of throwing to you and you'd run with it. So, uh, sorry to say that it's not the best holiday film. Um, but it is related, as I said, strangely to New Year's, like the next two films we're going to talk about. I'm just going to guess. My guess was that the love or hate extreme response is going to come with our next film from you. I'm hoping to subvert expectations a little bit, but we'll okay. see. Yeah. Right. Uh, as for Snowpiercer, I think, I think, I still think it's a great film. I just didn't really want to watch it right now. <laughs> Put that on the poster. <laughs> so, Tim, tell us, where are you from? Which part of the country? He's from Cornwall. Yeah, it's really pretty. It's um, it's that little bit right at the end. Uh, it sort of looks like a shoe. And you're a lawyer, is that right? Yep, yep, that's right. Uh, and he never loses. You, you don't think he's going to win, and then he just pulls something out of the bag, and mm. would you know, he wins again. Do you ever answer any of your own questions? <laughs> Yes, uh, yeah. he does. Usually he does, but not today because I'm doing all the talking because I'm really nervous and I, I kind of love him and I, I just, I want, I want you to, too. Oh, honey. Sorry, Tim. Over to you. Shoot. Uh, yeah, I think my Can dad, I just say one yeah. more thing? The next film that we have on our plate here is About Time by Richard Curtis. Somebody who I actually love in terms of uh, his TV work. Really, really enjoy uh, like stuff like The Thin Blue Line and Black Adder is kind of my go one of my go-tos in terms of uh, comfort food viewing. Like I could rewatch Black Adder series two through four all day, every day. One is okay. 
uh, for for the Blackadder fans, you know what I'm talking about. When Richard Curtis makes and well, writes and directs movies, I'm less interested. Uh, did, what he, what else did he do? He did Four Weddings. I just, I just like your broad, even without going to the IMDb credits. Your when he works in film, don't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> stay in your stay in your lane. Uh, Notting Hill is that another one he did? I can't really keep the uh, these English guys straight. Love Actually, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones. So. I, I'm just not a fan of his work. And so I came to about time when you recommended it for this month with quite a bit of hesitation because, but hey, I'd already purchased it on iTunes. So <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's make the most of yeah. this. Tax write-off time for your, your podcasting <laughs> hobby. I liked a big, quite a bit of it and not so much other bits like i hate to be so wishy-washy do you think that this film can work without the time traveling element can it be a slice of life film because all that stuff i was very much invested in and anytime he wanted to go back and change something i was less interested in uh it reminded me and i think 2020 has uh only made this assumption more extreme for me that uh i'll never understand the rich because while he he does have a, a job in in you know in law, um, so so not blue collar work, um, you know the lifestyle, this close knit family that we drop in on, that for some reason the the men in this this family have this time traveling power when they they come of age, um, the the decision making or the seeming lack of thought. Uh, like this is a man who's never watched Back to the Future, clearly, and I guess it's from being incredibly rich <laughs> that you have other things to do. That you know, your greatest tragedy in life is that Margot Robbie comes to stay with you at your family home one summer, and shockingly, Mister Ginger, she has no interest in having sex with you. That's <laughs> that's the greatest tragedy. I think you've hit on something though. I think it's the the time travel element that is most annoying about this movie his interactions the the, the meat cute in this you know not just dark restaurant but so much so that I, i've never been to one of these things that probably is no longer trendy it was probably trendy for six months and then it was over uh, meets this woman in a restaurant uh, where they can't see each other and so they get to have a, a genuine connection conversation all of that stuff's fine and i actually really like rachel mcadams here as um i guess just the girl really because it's it's really his story but she is really charming and captivating like all her interactions uh with her her family that how she's tried to hide how intimate their relationship has gotten all that stuff i'm enjoying the only time the time travel thing works for me is to what you're saying where it's more of a mindset like he where he uh for a time uses it uh sorry about that horrible pun to <laughs> to relive his day like when he's just had a normal like yeah. kind of shitty day at work and then he goes back to sort of assess like all right was that a big deal like in that moment you're frustrated and you're sort of amplifying all these things that suck in your life uh, negating all of the good and all the things that you should be valuing that one sequence i think really works but it's not necessary that you actually have to have time travel powers to Precisely. develop that philosophy. <laughs> so much of our days just 
unfortunately, are routine. Like, you could be going into the same uh, deli or same bakery every day to get your cup of coffee and a, and a bear claw or whatever it is that you fancy, and you can have those same interactions and uh, compare the two separate days. So I believe, and you're right, I 100% agree with you. That was a wonderful sequence. And I especially loved, see, this is where the casting director uh, or whoever does the casting, whoever makes those, like, minute decisions like uh, a person oh this person's going to be in this scene for 10 seconds and it's such a crucial job because uh the the, the clerk i guess who works at the at this um shop that he goes into is so lovely and the close-up shot and i'll give richard curtis some do here and that second day is a close-up essentially of her face and she's so wonderfully expressive and nice that's kind of what, when people talk about the power of cinema, they, I feel like they forget about these little moments, like wh- how powerful it can be just with a simple close-up and, and showing somebody smiling. And so, yes, I love that sequence as well. I don't think time travel was necessary. I think that easily could have been something <laughs> someone said to him, stop and smell the flowers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're married to Rachel McAdams. How bad can it be? Yeah, right. You know what? And one thing about Rachel McAdams, I I did like her quite a bit eventually, but I kind of had to get over the fact that <laughs> he, he said no to Margot Robbie. <laughs> I was I was so sure he was going to sleep with her and then go back in time and not. That's interesting. That opened up a, um, <laughs> I would say like a 60 second debate, maybe not even that, uh, with my wife, if that <laughs> would constitute cheating, if he would... <laughs> travel back in time and sort of erase it from that timeline but it happened in an alternate path and without really engaging me in podcast banners she goes that's still cheating it's cheating (laughs) it is and you know what we like our protagonist more because he ultimately doesn't do it i don't know if (laughs) anyways the other thing about the time oh actually one more good thing about the time travel uh where it works because of uh, uh, the emotion behind it, is when he ultimately says goodbye to his father. That opened up a big discussion with me um, and my wife. And it's going to be a, a, a difference of perspective uh, between you and I, because you you have a daughter. I don't have any children. I have a dog who, during the Snowpiercer section of this, started showing up the couch next to my desk. <laughs> so I had to, had to give him um like a i guess it's like a little poster roll someone sent me a poster and the, the little tube that's yeah. in he's now i feel bad for future editor webb because as i'm talking you can probably hear stuff being shred oh, in right. the background but just to stop him from destroying a piece of furniture yeah which is admittedly pretty shitty that's why it's in my little podcast space anyway i had to stop him from doing that that's my child that's what i'm dealing with but my wife Lost her father about a decade ago, right before we met. I um, was very close to them. I recently, just in this this month, in December, lost my stepfather. And so watching this movie where this man has been granted a gift that even after his father's passing, he's able to go back to these little points in time where they can still hang out. And I get the, the point of it, and that's why I pushed this to connect with our, our B side on uh, everything must go that, you know, all things must pass eventually to move forward. That's, that is the point, obviously that if you're going to, to move forward with uh, future generations, your family, the problem is 
and you're, you're gonna man listeners and you are gonna attack me for being like mike you really are getting into the weeds you're in the weeds on snowpiercer as far as like the spacing of the action sequences <laughs> uh, but they bring it up here that basically you know once x happens uh y can't and in that case it's like he can no longer go back and visit his father if he doesn't want to negate everything that happens with this childbirth, it's a really strange, I don't know if it like with most time travel things, if you start to analyze it, go, you know, you can drop the, the looper clip here where Bruce Willis just like tells <laughs> little Joseph Gordon Levitt to just shut up about it. Cause it doesn't make sense. The more you talk about it, but it's a way to give some sort of conflict to our main character as far as how he's going to decide to move on with his life and basically move on from his father's death. The problem that me and my wife both had was, uh, well, that's easy. Uh, no more kids. You've already had, uh, at that point, they've already had a child. Do they have two? Two. I, can't I believe they had two at that point. Do you really need three at that point? If you have the ability to always have these conversations with your father uh, who has passed on, I, 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 it's amazing to me this movie, kind, I think this movie did relatively well. Uh, yeah, $87 million on a $12 million budget. So it, it was a hit. And I don't remember this being critically piled on. I think people were like, well, that was nice. Seemed to be the general impression. That's a big pill, I think, for people who have have lost that connection with a parent to just be like, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll you know have a third kid and we'll say our final goodbyes. It works in a movie to have that final moment with your father, but I, you know, my wife, that was a nope, that would never never cross my mind. Well, here's the thing, and I'm gonna say this not because like I've experienced it, but uh, the people with multiple kids. I only have one kid, and we're still like second kid right now is up up in the air. Not really sure, uh, but ultimately on your video game library. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> get rid of it. How many are just destroyed? <laughs> Once you have that second kid or third kid or whatever, like my my, my boss, eight kids. So, god. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, thing is, each one of them is like a blessing, and so I'm sure when that couple in this movie had that third kid and they immediately loved him or her or whatever, you could never go back and say, no, I would not want to have this kid. And and that's why it was so strong for the character when he realized that his daughter is no longer his daughter, but this weird boy baby, he's like, uh, I don't want this. I want Mike. So, I love how dismissive he was there. He turned into Chris Evans for a second. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're only here to be eaten. <laughs> I don't care about <laughs> who you are as a baby. Get rid of you. And and I think it's sloppy writing because that fact, uh, uh, or excuse me, that clause in the time travel is just kind of, oh, uh, you're right. We do need a conflict. Let's have it right now. And so, yeah, it, that's what it is, sloppy writing. I can get over the fact that, oh, how did they get these powers? Why is it this specific male lineage? Like, why? I can get over all that. But you got to set up the rules of your universe and abide by them. And so I often was wondering uh, about that. And, and of course, you're right, time travel. Once you get into time travel, all the nerds, such as myself, are going to start picking it apart. It's like, wait a minute. If he's time traveling while his dad is time traveling, how many different... Uh, variations how many different timelines are being formed and and closed and so it's a bit of a mess but you're right ultimately you have to not think about it and that's why i couldn't help but think that boy if the time travel element wasn't there and it was just a straight love drama i think i would have liked it more but despite all of that 
I feel like I'm going to revisit this more often than I'd like to admit right now because everything else was so strong. And I can kind of get over the time travel element. It could just be a uh, an idiosyncrasy of this film that I'll have to kind of put up with. It's like you love the people you love, warts and all. And I think that's how I'm going to feel about about time. I like your conclusion of that. Um, I'm complaining about the train and Snowpiercer, and I'd have a hard time setting that aside. Like, if I could just lose the train bit, <laughs> Snowpiercer, the baby eating <laughs> and the fighting, uh, the sauna fight sequence, all great. But the train can't stand it. But I'm with you on About Time. It's one that, um, throwing it out there, I'm pretty sure uh, Sheila on Twitter, whenever this was brought up, despises this movie oh, like no. hates it with a passion <laughs> so uh merry late christmas to you for listening <laughs> that we included it on the film i hope i was suitably negative enough for her liking i i feel like i i threw in some negative jabs here and there as well i just i, I maybe it's just because it's christmas time and it's new year's coming up I'm just, I want to find the positives in, in every little uh, bit. And also, you hate to come out of a movie like, oh, that sucked and that was a complete waste of time. No, no, I think there's always going to be a little bit of a silver lining. I don't often have that um, reaction. I don't really like it. You know, perusing Letterboxd just to see what the general reaction is. Um, anytime I see a review saying that was like, well, that's two hours I'll never get back. It's like, eh, come on, man. There had, There's something. You interacted with it in some way, even if you despised it, um, you know. I don't get that. There's very few movies. And if I do feel that way, uh, I just walk out of them. If I genuinely feel this is a complete waste of time, watch something else. Like uh, Mandalorian. Spend, you know, 18 hours of your life watching, <laughs> watching that instead. Speaking of waste of time, let's move on to our next film. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> So sorry to keep you waiting. So glad you found my lost gloves at the department store where you work. And so I wanted to thank you at the traditional two-woman light lunch with no other agenda whatsoever. I'm Carol. My name is Kumail. I'll be serving you guys today. Do you want to order now or should we wait for your husbands? Good one. Um, I'll have the cream spinach over poached eggs and a dry martini with an olive, please. Slow down, lady. I have to read your lengthy list of 1950 specials. Must okay. you? Today we have a sea bream being served extra bremy. We have a cured puree of mashed curds that is so squeaky and moist. We have a mayonnaise-encrusted lobster white as God's face that comes with tenderloin peas and jumbo squab. And lastly, a big dead catfish. That's my personal favorite. I'll stick with the cream spinach and poached eggs, please. Very good choice. That is our most disgusting meal. I'll have the same. Great. Two Eleanor Roosevelt combos coming right up. Something for your mouth? Land this plane, Carol. Land it. Thank you so much for finding my gloves again. I was so lost without those gloves. This was me without my gloves. So, what kind of name is Bellevette? Check. Check. What a coinkydink. Because I was trying to check you out at the checkout counter. Check, please. <laughs> oh, I'm just putting your food down right now. You already want to check? It is an expression, Kumail. It was part of the seduction. I mean, glove lunch. And what's your first name? Therese. Therese? What a funny little name. 
flung out of space. I think I just came down with Therese syndrome. <laughs> me, 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 you're beautiful. You know, I have a funny little name too, Kamal. People think it's Indian, but actually I'm Pakistani, but it's a really new country because we're still in the 1950s. Kamal, yeah. I am mid-seduction. Would you get out of here? Because I'm rounding third and I'm heading home, and yes, I am talking about softball. Do you like to play softball, Therese? I do. I'm confused. Who are you seducing? <laughs> think about it. I don't... Oh, you're trying to seduce me. I'm working a double, and I, I work till 10.30, and I'm kind of seeing this girl. We haven't had the talk yet, but things are sort of heading in a specific direction, so. I'm a freaking lesbian, okay? And she's about to be too, if you would just get the hell out of here. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? What? It's the 1950s, you know? You're blowing my mind. This is not that kind of place. Kumail, it is that kind of place. You work at a lesbian restaurant. The place is called Leslie's for crying out loud. Look at your name tag. Oh, I thought it said Leslie's. Look around. There are a lot of clandestine glove lunches happening here. Two gloves. Oh, yeah. How did I miss that? Hey, look. The Indian kid finally figured it out. Whose eggs do I got to poach to get a refill on my creamed spinach? I can't wait for the 50s to be over. You can't. Hey, Blondie, won't you come join us? Yeah, you got two sure things sitting right here. Three if you count by hand. Come on, Carol, give a dog a bone. They make a good point. Why? Because you're maybe, like, not there yet. Well, I barely even know what to order for lunch. I'm going to pop over there and get what's mama's. Thank you so much for lunch and for the gloves. All right, the last film that we're going to be talking about is Carol. Uh, this, now, going back to my original point that we started with, it's I, I think the films can be really great, and I can admire them and and talk about how objectively they're well put together and and the work that's been involved in, in from from every aspect of the film, acting, art direction, etc. Here, here we go. Here we go. But it's not the film that I really wanted to watch right now. <laughs> I, I think Carol is a uh, and, and honestly, that's how kind of I kind of feel about Todd Haynes. Like most of his mm. work, I'm not in love with, but I know that he is super talented, and I can see on screen how he constructs a moment, how he's able to fill it with such genuine emotion. I totally get all of that. And even in my, my this this viewing, while I was a bit removed from most of what was happening on screen, I still was crushed in the scene where you've got that traveling salesman who is actually recording, you know, uh, Carol and, and their activities in the hotel. So like, I, I was so filled with hate. And when she, like, fired the gun and nothing, you know, there's no ammunition, and I was so angry. And I've seen this film before. So it's like I... I the, the the talent and, and the craft on display is so effective that even someone like me who like wasn't in the mood to really watch it but became invested in those moments. Uh, what what did you think of Carol? It's a bit of diminishing returns for me. Like it's, I remember being fairly high on this in 2015 Christmas season. Um, you know, it's a gorgeous film to look at, and like I mean, just the way it's. 
every every composition um you know they this is a movie where you you hang in the the sort of the in between of moments you know it's the, it's the unsaid it's the the, the glances <laughs> the problem is and this is like a it's coming from a straight guy here i uh, yeah <laughs> same same i well okay but i <laughs> i had an off mic conversation because this one i enjoyed more i I think it's a lot of Rooney Mara is what I really enjoy here. I just really like her performance so much. Kate Blanchett is, you know, she's she's fine. She's doing her thing, but Rooney Mara is the you know the the one with the uh, that intense longing and and really the uh, the self discovery she's on. She has the moments that I, I kind of go back to, like she she has a, a sequence in the car with Carol where she's saying she can't even trust herself if this is like. If this is true, if this is like what she feels is authentic to her, because she talks about how she's open to everything and she's looking, she's searching for that new experience in life. And it's just just one more thing that she's going to search for and then move on to the next, which is really it's a really weird and honest conversation to have with your your lover in that particular moment saying like it's not a it's not you it's me type thing but it kind of is where she's she's saying like the worst part of this infatuation she has is doubting herself and that's all that that scene is fantastic but the conversation i had with a dave uh from a podcast directed by was about portrait of a lady on fire that i watched earlier this year and uh, fucking internet lost their minds about right or film twitter did which was very similar to carol um they're not similar movies in tone, but there is this thing that, as I said, as a straight guy, that starts to get really annoying. And I can only imagine how annoying it is for uh, someone in the queer community uh, where pretty much a film about that experience is a repressed feeling. Um, so it's either the time period that's in where the characters can't express themselves openly uh you know, it's it's accurate to the time and accurate to the experience that they're trying to relate to you. But there was a recent film, uh, Happiest Season, with Mackenzie Davis and Kristen Stewart that came out. I think it was supposed to be a theatrical release, but it came out on Hulu because of COVID. And this is a modern film, and it's about uh, a woman who is taking her, her girlfriend back to family Christmas, and she asks... Mackenzie Davis's character asked Kristen Stewart to basically go back into the closet in a way to hide who they truly oh. are to her family. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, are we, <laughs> are we going to allow on film, not only uh, gay characters to be represented, but is there ever gonna be a time where it's not this like tragic flaw in some way with one of the characters that they can't be their true selves it's unfair to hold that against Carol, but you know our theme for this entire episode is just going to be, uh, you know, wrong movie, wrong time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where I just I was like I was wondering I'm like why am I not into this as much as I was in 2015 where I I felt what Rooney Mara was feeling and I was like hopeful for them and instead there was like a bitterness to my watch this time where I'm like I'm sick of this I like I want to see. Uh, lesbians run wild, which is not that far removed from how it was when I was like 12 or 13. <laughs> well, the problem with a lot of these kind of queer storylines is because they sometimes are so heavily reliant on that same problem over and over again. And I'm so glad that we did Hearts Beat Loud earlier where there was a gay relationship mm -hmm. there and it wasn't a big deal. Like Going back to 
uh, tell no one that that French film that I saw in the theaters where I thought the gay character uh, uh, inclusion was going to be this plot point. Not at all. Just a gay character. And so you're right. I feel like we're past that point. You know what? I guess maybe it depends on where you are in this country, what specific area you live in, what your upbringing is. Maybe this is still a big issue there. But for the most part, I think we've kind of moved past it. Uh, And so again, and I do wonder... I don't know. Is Todd Haynes gay? Is uh, are any of the people making this film? I, I know Patricia Highsmith. Uh, I think she was fluid in her sexuality. The, the the original author, and she to the point where she published her book under a pseudonym because she didn't want to be labeled as like a lesbian um, writer. Uh, and so I do wonder, like, is there going? Was there outrage at all that Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara are not gay? So why are they playing these characters? You know, we get into a lot of that uh, anger online as to like, well, why are these individuals telling this story? And so I don't know. Maybe that's the case. I mean, look at something like uh, Blue is the warmest color. Did you did you watch that one? Didn't didn't watch that one. Uh, that one was purely uh, due to runtime. It's pretty long. Isn't it, it is. I remember that being a turnoff to me. Not, I don't know anything about it other than it's uh, about a gay couple, but uh, and that it was it was really long. And uh, you know, I'm like, well, Wild Things handled it, and I think a brisk <laughs> hundred minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that is one thing I will say about Carol. Like, it's it's funny the artistry on display during that sex scene in Carol. It's it's very elegant and it's actually kind of sensual whereas something <laughs> you could probably just hop around in terms of blue the warmest color and sit there and watch the 15 minute sequence you're just pulling your hair out it's like can we move on actually you know what the, the concept of the the erotic movie or like the sensual thriller like it's it's used so often, like you know, De Palma's films are always labeled as erotic thrillers. A very few films, I think, have the ability, or excuse like, me, the directors have the ability to create a scene that is sexy. One that I will absolutely, the only one that really comes to mind as like a sexy scene was directed by Soderbergh, and the film was Out of Sight. I don't know if you've seen that oh, one. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you, yeah. You know which one I'm talking about. It's Jennifer Lopez mm-hmm. and, and Clooney talking in that hotel room. God damn, like that. I whew. Webb is Webb is uh having having to uh, fan himself right now. Oh, oh yeah, I do. yeah. <laughs> He's begging me to take the mic and probably the <laughs> listeners are too. Like, whoa, this is getting <laughs> I... Go back to Carol where there's there's just intense longing. <laughs> I mean, you know, we you and I at least, we don't watch cinema to be turned on and to be, you know, <laughs> to get our jollies. But and it's rare for a film to really be like, Oh my god, that was really erotic and sensual. Um and and it was a rare moment in, in film where I was like, wow, that was really wonderfully done and lives up to the concept of like, ooh, it's a sexy thriller. Uh, Carol, not really a sexy thriller. Uh, I think, yeah, retreading a lot of the... And hey, there are a lot of people out there in the um, LGBTQ community who deal with these issues even today. And I know it's not something that's ever going to really completely go away. So if they... Uh, Attach themselves to the story and see themselves in these characters. That's great. Uh, Rooney Mara's character, the fact that she is unsure of where she is, but she knows where she is in that moment. That's great. That is very representative of uh, the kind of things that we see today. So 
I'm I'm glad that the film exists. I I remember when Brokeback Mountain came out, there were people who were like, I saw it ten times in the theaters because I couldn't imagine seeing myself in a mainstream film of this critical uh, success. So great, uh, but yeah, for for and you know our Christmas episode was about identities, and I think this kind of yeah this this fits perfectly. But I'm ultimately glad that we didn't include it in our thematic <laughs> trilogy. I, I promise, dear listeners, that the next, you know, three month celebration, if you will, of Trilogy in Theory will not be. Uh, this is why this movie is not good enough to be on Trilogy in Theory. <laughs> here's, here's an episode on it. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, this was done with the the intention of uh, not only kind of celebrating um, the previous three themes, but this also is its own New Year's trilogy to itself. This is all about going into the next year. And that sort of in-between uh, period. I think, <clears throat> Carol, it, it could just be a sensibility thing where there are some people that uh, love romance in film, like the romance genre, not rom-coms, uh, like hard, not hard R, like the palm <laughs> of what you're talking about, but like capital R romance. And that sense of longing and unrequited love is very much prominent in that, that genre, that, that heightened sense of drama. And, you know, there, there's a foreboding sense anyway, that this is just a, a, a moment in time that we can't hang on to. And with the fact that both of these characters are gay, that's amplified of course, because it, it, it's not just two ships passing in the night. It's like, even if we wanted to, how would we, make this make this work uh far different from <laughs> the ginger-haired fellow who when he messes up with rachel mcadams is like do over uh she she likes that one model i, I can do 10 minutes on on that yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll go there we didn't really get into that too much uh thankfully as far as the um the behavior, uh, I guess, the uh, of using time travel to better yourself in the eyes of a possible mm -hmm. uh, lover. Uh, I have that kind of on the mind because Wonder Woman 1984 dropped, and that's one of the things people are ranting about is that oh, Wonder Woman God. doesn't get consent doesn't get consent from a man who has now been taken over by Chris Pine's uh, aura or essence or. Uh -huh. Let me tell you, having watched Wonder Woman, it never crossed my mind if I was going to wake up and be like. Do I have a problem that I had sex with Wonder Woman? No. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm so God damn, leave that movie alone. You don't deserve it. Okay? It was colorful you know, our and listeners silly are going to say the same thing about Snowpiercer and Carol <laughs> for us, and specifically. 